Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, the co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. You know, the federal government is an amazing institution. We, we talk about it all the time, Tyler. Um, people complain about the federal government, but there really are some remarkable people and remarkable programs uh, that are embedded deep within uh, the government infrastructure. Uh, we're going to take a path, a, a walk down an interesting path today in this show, because we're going to be talking about the Advanced Research Project Agency, ARPA, which is part of the U.S. Department of Energy, and a real innovative think tank a program area, an agency that's trying to tackle some pretty complicated issues related to the ocean and the coast, Tyler. ARPA-E is what it's called. ARPA-E uh, sounds sounds like something that might develop something for the future. That's what I think. I think of future technologies that are going to probably or potentially change our lives going forward. And Peter, you said it. I mean, I am I am thrilled that our leaders and our federal government thinks it wise to invest in skunk works type research that is far reaching into the future that can potentially change the game. And we have some major games that need to be changed, specifically in the energy department, Peter. So we've got two excellent guests here to talk to us today about the ARPA-E program and their Ocean Week, which was held last week in Washington, D.C. Yeah, the ARPA-E Ocean Week. Joining us today on the American Shoreline Podcast, Daniel Rogers, Tyler, who you will recall, uh, has appeared on the American Shoreline Podcast during our broadcast from the Ocean, what was it? Ocean Exploration Forum at the University of Texas that was held earlier this year. Uh, Dan was on with us. Dan is a technology to market advisor and part of the RPE program at the U.S. Department of Energy. And also joining us, Dr. Simon Freeman. He's a program director with uh, ARPA-E, the Advanced Research Project Agency at the U.S. Department of Energy. So a couple of the guys who are down in the middle of the work at this agency uh, to take us down the path and to introduce us to RPE and the work they're doing, Tyler. I'm looking forward to the show. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing how uh, how our lives might be changed with some of these cool new technologies that are being developed. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today are brought to you by Geodynamics, an NV5 company specializing in providing accurate surveys of complex coastal environments worldwide. Driven by marine geology, coastal science, and remote sensing, our researchers use the latest technology to provide meticulous data products to support our clients and answer their toughest questions. Geodynamics carefully designs and executes a variety of hydrographic, geophysical, sub-bottom, and near-shore surveys using our fleet of customized vessels and sensor configuration. You can find us at nv5geospatial.com. Geodynamics, delivering solutions, improving lives. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter for our latest updates from around the American shoreline. Like what you're hearing and want to support the network? Sponsorship packages are now available. Go to coastalnewstoday.com 
slash advertising to learn more. Well, uh, Dan Rogers, thank you for joining us on the American Shoreline podcast. Of course. It's great to be back with you both. And uh, Dr. Simon Freeman, welcome to you as well. Thank you very much for joining us from uh, from the nation's capital in Washington, D.C. I understand that's where you are located. That's correct. Pleasure to be here. Well, I'd like to start with you, Dr. Simon, if you would not mind, uh, for the many, many Americans out there and uh, listeners on the American Shoreline Podcast Network who are not familiar with the Advanced Research Project Agency at the U.S. Department of Energy, um, tell us what this is and why it's important. Sure. Well, um, to make it easier for some folks, ARPA with an E is very similar to ARPA with a D. So DARPA is a, is a famous government agency. Uh, they invented the internet, stealth fighters, and so on. Um, and they're working explicitly for defense. So in 2009, there was an idea to create a separate agency that used that model of funding high-risk high and high-reward um, breakthrough science and technology and apply that to energy problems. And that's where ARPA-E was born. So... You know, we look at funding, research that no one else will touch because it might be too wacky or too risky or the technology may be too far away in, in the future. But if we're able to successfully bring that risk down a little bit, uh, bring that technology a little bit closer to today, uh, we would have made a big difference. And, uh, you know, success is not instantaneous. It, it could happen maybe even a decade after the end of an RPE program, but it would transform the energy landscape um, of America and, and the world. So that's the premise of, of RPE. One of the ways that I think about it, and I, I could this could be great, but it, it, it's almost an accelerator. I mean, it, it moves the, the timeline of a future technology up because, Simon, what you're saying is that you know, the, the general market forces here are not so concerned with something that might be, you know, 10 years out. So the government can kind of throw in some early money, get the ball rolling, get the research going. And then the private sector might look at that and say, hey, you know, this I see utility for this technology in what we do. Now, Dan, uh, you have changed positions. You're new to ARPA-E. Uh, you were previously working for Remind me the name of that or organization, the Ocean Exploration Trust, I believe? Uh, yeah. So when I spoke to you six or seven months ago from the National Ocean Exploration Forum, I was working with a group called the Consortium for Ocean Leadership. Uh, I've since, That's right. since uh, moved on to now work for the Department of Energy, the Advanced Research Projects Agency, as we've been discussing. Um, and you're, you're absolutely right in, in the way you're thinking about it and, and how you stated it earlier. Um, ARPA-E is very much focused on enabling you know, technology solutions in the private sector. So to to actually implement the, the mission objectives that Simon just described, you know, not only does RPE provide, you know, the financial resources to really move these uh, innovative technologies forward, but also the technical and the commercialization expertise to enable these teams to be successful in the marketplace. And just to indicate to you, you know, where RPE's priorities are, uh, I've got uh, some hot off the presses uh, impact indicators, as we call them within ARPA-E. And, and these are the metrics by which we judge our success internally. 
Um, so, for example, uh, since 2009, ARPA-E has provided $3.27 billion in R&D funding to more than uh, 1,400 projects. Uh, 200 of these projects have attracted more than $11 billion in private sector follow-on funding. We've had over 131 companies formed out of ARPA-E projects. Uh, there have been 26 exits with a total market valuation worth $21.8 billion for mergers, acquisitions, and IPOs. Uh, we've had over 934 patents issued, and we've had about 289 licenses reported from RPE projects. So the way we measure our success, our follow-on funding, our, the number of companies spun out of project teams, are the number of patents and licenses. And these are, are all indicators of the impact that our technologies have in, in the marketplace. Wow. That's a hell of a track record. $3.27 billion in R&D funding, $11 billion in private sector follow-up. Hundreds of companies formed. Um, Dr. Freeman, I'm curious. This is at the U.S. Department of Energy. Um and we think about energy technology, but um, what's the ocean connection uh, and why is a former U.S. Naval Research Laboratory oceanographer uh, working at DARPA, at ARPA-E? So there's tremendous potential in the ocean and it's inextricably connected to energy. Um, the United States has the, either the first or second largest exclusive economic zone in the world for any country. Uh, we have a number of strategically positioned minor outlying territories that enable that uh, immense area of ocean to be within our, our federal purview. So it, there's a, an enormous, enormous opportunity to uh, create future energy industries at sea, uh, renewable systems, um, macroalgal mariculture systems, and this is something we'll talk about in a moment with the Mariner program, that could really utilize the the insulation so the, the sunlight that comes in from space and and um illuminates the earth in, over this sort of vast ocean area uh, so just looking at it from that very high level there's so much potential and the the other part of that is that today uh the blue economy or the the ocean economy is is really something that underutilizes the resources available there if you look out at sea i mean the only scaled uh industry out there is offshore fishing, um, could, we could do so much more uh, with the ocean. So we use that as a that opportunity as a motivator at RPE to think of programs and projects that uh, could technologically open that door for us. Well, it is very exciting. And Peter, it's something that we've been keeping an eye on in Coastal News today, just the fact that we are reliant more and more. I should say that our society is going to be leaning into the ocean space increasingly going into the future. Uh, we are seeing it, I, I would say, with offshore wind development, Simon and Dan. Uh, this is, of course, uh, BOEM is, is managing the leases of this space with these massive turbine, turbines that are being installed uh, way out at sea. But what we're talking about here with ARPA-E is even further out than that. Could, could Simon, could you take me through an example of, of, of a type of ARPA-E project that, that has been funded and, is that, and that has you know, some wind under its wings? Sure. So when we think about open ocean and scale um, that that could introduce, that my mind turns to the Mariner program at ARPA-E. So Mariner is a program that's been around since approximately 2017, 
And the goal of Mariner is to realize massive uh, biomass and bioenergy scale through offshore macroalgal cultivation or seaweed farming. And today, the, the, you know, I should mention today, 99% of the world's seaweed that is farmed is farmed in Asia. And most of that is for uh, human consumption. But uh, there's a vision here at RPE where that biomass could be used for bioenergy purposes, whether it's biofuel or uh, as a uh, soil remediation tool to reduce the amount of resources we expend in nutrifying soil and retaining water in soil um, to other uses as well. So um, it's, it's a really interesting program where the end result has multiple energy uses. But one of the big problems is that uh, to achieve scale, I mean, to sequester a gigaton's worth of carbon or to capture a gigaton's worth of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, you need such a large area of, of seaweed farm that you can't help but go offshore. And by offshore, I mean very deep, uh, I'm talking thousands of meters of water, uh, to a place where we don't really have infrastructure today. And so the Mariner program has focused on the, the technological aspects of Mariner, focused on things like offshore farm design, new ways of uh, getting nutrients to offshore farms that are sustainable, uh, automated ways of surveying farms and, and establishing the health of kelp, etc., without people physically being there. And so these transformative technologies would would the idea is that they would lend themselves to an, a future offshore scaled macroalgal industry. And when you talk about that, uh, uh, Simon, you're talking about it in terms of, uh, you said biomass production, but possibly uh, an, as an energy resource uh, initiative. Um, tell us about that. How would that work? It seems extraordinary that you could utilize um macro algae or kelp um, on a scale sufficient to make a difference in energy production. Help us out there. Yeah, so the, the original motivation behind Mariner was one where, you know, if you just go to a gas station today, you'll see a sticker that says, you know, your gasoline may contain up to 10% ethanol. Uh, a lot of that ethanol is sourced from biological sources. So corn for ethanol is something that I'm sure many people are familiar with. But the issue with that is, as we scale the size of our economy and the, the demand for resources increases, we don't have any more land to grow more corn for biofuels. So the idea there was, well, what if we could create biofuels from um, from crop offshore where we're not limited to the, number, to the amount of space? Uh, so that was the initial take in Mariner. But since then, or since the program had started, uh, the the end uses for the macroalgae have have diversified, and uh, there are multiple methods where multiple pathways through which macroalgal biomass could benefit our energy economy. Uh, one, uh, just one example, would be uh, the remediation of synthetic fertilizer. So, if you're able to replace nitrates and phosphates that are either mined from the ground or created using the Haber-Bosch process, which is a very uh, natural gas intensive process, uh, you could reduce the amount of energy that is needed to uh, neutrify terrestrial crops. And, uh, you know, today, a lot of the these nitrates and phosphates do leach into uh, groundwater and eventually runoff that goes into the ocean and you have 
problems like uh, um, algal, algal red tides or algal blooms that um, that draw some of that that uh, run terrestrial runoff and create these toxic algal blooms. Um, if you could use seaweed to absorb some of those nutrients that would otherwise um, be utilized by toxic microalgae, you could close the loop in terms of um, the flow of nutrients from farm to ocean and uh, recycle some of those nitrates and phosphates and uh, reduce our reliance on fossil fuels to create them. Well, it's very exciting. And the other thing that I think about, Peter, all the time when we're thinking about this, you know, the future of energy and I, just a quick pause, you know, Peter, we talk about all sorts of, of coastal issues ranging from ocean plastic to sea level rise, uh, ocean acidification. And uh, we've, you know, we've talked a lot about the uh, IPCC reports on uh, how to avert, you know, major climate catastrophe going forward and how important our CO2 emissions are to that problem. So when you think, ladies and gentlemen, like how does the Department of Energy fit into the discussion? It's that our energy usage, the way that we burn combust fuel in this present time in 2022 is heating our damn planet up. And so it does make a lot of sense that the Department of Energy would be interested in uh, these these kelp type of fuels, biofuels. You know, for one, you're taking CO2 out of the atmosphere to make, to grow this kelp. And so there, if you could refine this stuff using a renewable energy source, you might be able to make a carbon neutral or potentially even a carbon negative fuel, I guess, depending on how you do it and if you capture the emissions at the tailpipe. That's pretty exciting, I have to say. And, and you know, there's we talk about deep sea mining, Peter. We talk about all sorts of energy issues that are related to the ocean. And so it is absolutely fitting that uh, ARPA-E and the Department of Energy would have a at least a toe, at least a toe in the old ocean. Dan, speaking of, uh, you all have done an ocean week, and it was last week. I understand it was a couple days. Can you tell us about ocean week, why you did it, and how was it? Yeah, thanks for uh, bringing that up. Yeah, so last week, uh, as you mentioned, we hosted this ARPA-E Ocean Week event, and I'll just uh, specify by saying it, it was primarily uh, you know, an internal review session for our existing ocean-focused uh, technology development programs. Um, Simon just spoke about our Mariner program, and uh, just <laughs> just to get, give you some insight, uh, all of our program names are acronyms. Uh, so Mariner does stand for Macroalgae Research Inspiring Novel Energy Resources, uh, just to give you an idea of where that name came from. <laughs> so we're, the, the, agency, the agency gets very creative Love with the it. acronyms. Um, but uh, that's just one of three or well, three full programs uh, and one of four total programs that uh, are ocean-focused at ARPA-E. The other two are our SHARKS program, SHARKS standing for Submarine Hydrokinetic and Riverine Kilo Megawatt Systems, uh, <laughs> which is a mouthful, but uh, that's why we use these acronyms. Um, and that program is focused on hydrokinetic turbine development uh, for tidal and riverine current har uh, energy harvesting. Um, and, you know, uh, well, I guess I'll also mention our last full program, Atlantis, 
uh, aerodynamic turbines lighter and afloat with nautical technologies and integrated servo control. <laughs> so again, <laughs> much easier to reference the acronym. Um, and that uh, Atlantis is focused on uh, developing smart uh, offshore floating offshore wind platforms. So um, sharks in Atlantis uh, utilize what we could we call control co-design, which means you know, for example, in offshore wind. Uh, for a floating platform, typically you may need to utilize an approach where you need a lot of mass to, to, to counteract any motion of, of uh, the water at the surface. And the idea is, can we reduce capital costs for a project by reducing the amount of mass and material you need for these systems uh, by instead compensating for motion with you know, smarter control systems? Um, and so unfortunately, uh, our program director who runs uh, uh, Sharks in Atlantis, Mario Garcia-Sanz, he wasn't able to join us today, and maybe you all can have him uh, come on as a guest later on to, to describe those two programs in more detail. Um, but the idea is that we wanted to get Mariner, Sharks, and Atlantis program teams together, of which there are several dozen projects between all these programs, to kind of have a, a sessions where we you know, encourage cross-pollination cross of ideas, um, talk about common uh, challenges and barriers and opportunities for technology development and commercialization. And, uh, you know, to identify those overlaps and see where we might, you know, be able to utilize, um, you know, developments in the different programs to, to complement the capabilities of, of other performer teams. So, uh, again, it was an internally focused program uh, session, but uh, we did also invite a few key members uh, from outside the RPE community um, invited just a few representatives, for example, from other federal agencies with interests in these subject areas. Uh, we also invited uh, a few, you know, groups representing investor groups that, you know, may eventually lead into, uh, you know, the follow-on funding that we define ourselves by, uh, and as well as other companies that could potentially serve as commercialization partners for our, for our project team. So, um, again, just trying to foster that um, collaboration building and partnership building uh, that we define our success by. So uh, it's clear, uh, Dan, that one of the attributes of this particular federal effort uh, is its connection to the private sector and marketable technology. Uh, you talked about the patents that have been generated, the number of companies, the private sector investment, uh, you're a technology to market advisor. Uh, talk to us a little bit or share with our listeners, if you would, how a company that was interested in these innovative technologies, whether it's the Mariner Shark or the Atlantic Initiatives or the others or the Atlantis Initiative, uh, whatever other ones there might be, uh, how would a private sector company participate? in an ARPA-E project? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and before I forget, I did want to mention uh, the fourth program that was part of this review. It is not a full program. It is a smaller kind of exploratory program uh, that's focused on direct ocean capture. Uh, and maybe, Simon, you can talk about that later in a bit, but I just, just did want to mention that. So that was the fourth program at our, at our Ocean Week last week. Um, yeah, so, and again, Simon may want to speak uh, directly, more directly about how you know, research labs or small startups can get involved in the RPE community. Um, and actually, Simon, why don't I why don't I go ahead and pass this one to you? Since you know, as a program director, it is kind of under your purview to uh, develop new program concepts and and uh, develop these uh, program communities. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, Simon, if you could jump in. Sure thing. 
Well, uh, there are several ways that private organizations can become involved with RPE. And the first uh, and, and most obvious way to me would be to participate as a performer in a program. So let's say a company has uh, an invention that they think will change the world or will significantly advance um, U.S. You know, energy independence or resilience, etc. Um, they can submit proposals to the various programs that we uh, advertise now and then um, and uh, you know, seek competitive awards for uh, funding you know, early phase R&D work. And uh, it's, it's something else to have RPE supporting a project for a company because the accountability is is of the utmost and uh, the exposure is is very special so to have uh to to, to say you know we re- we had an RPE program on this particular technology it means a lot because we are very accountable uh and uh it's something where you know we have quarterly reviews we have um annual meetings and uh, folks must achieve specific milestones and deliverables. Uh, and uh, this is, in, in a way, this is done to, to ensure that we don't waste the taxpayers' money, but it's also done to ensure that technology is developed uh, quickly, but also wisely for an end goal that's gonna form the maximum market impact. Um, the second way that companies could be involved with RPE is, and we occasionally have uh, meetings such as the Ocean Week. Uh, we have an annual summit uh, which is, I think, next year is going to be held in um, National Harbor in Washington, D.C. So at these events, uh, the teams that uh, we fund will be showcasing their inventions, their technology, their pro- projects. And uh, it's an opportunity there to become involved, understand more about what these folks are doing, what the broader implications could be. And, of course, after RPE, the goal uh, that... Uh, we have is is for our teams to uh, solicit follow-on funding uh, to increase the technology readiness level of of what they've invented or what they've developed and ultimately scale up to uh, businesses that that grow explosively to uh, address an energy need that uh, the nation may have. Well, I'm a big nerd, and that sounds like a lot of fun. I want to come to the national, <laughs> yeah, the national like, thing in the harbor. Uh, that sounds like, I hope they bring some robots out. That sounds like a lot of fun. But uh, Dan, let's go back to the Ocean Week. I mean, so you've got these four programs, I understand, and you've got the participants of the various uh, projects that are funded. Uh, how how did this work out? I mean, is the idea to create cross pollinization between the different programs? Did were there any eureka moments that were found? I mean, did we invent <laughs> something new during Ocean Week? <laughs> uh, well. Uh- not necessarily, but I think um, that all of our, our project teams, uh, they're the ones coming up with the very transformational ideas. And again, we just kind of, uh, we try to support and enable them uh, to be successful. Um, but just for example, uh, you know, we had, a, we did have a, a number of keynote speakers from outside the RPE community come and speak to potential overlapping technology uh, uses and interests. Um, but we also had panels, panel discussions between the PIs of our various uh, projects and programs and focused on uh, topics that are related to working in the ocean. So, for example, we had uh, a panel uh, focused on community outreach. 
um, across all three programs um, and talking about some of the challenges of working in the ocean from that perspective. So making sure that if you're deploying any technology in the ocean, that you're working with local and, and regional communities to get their buy-in, to prove to them the value of, of deploying these technologies in their area, uh, and, and, and to prove the safety right, of, of operating innovative new technologies in areas that are near the coasts and near uh, parts of the ocean that other industries are, are using. So, um, so it was, a, it, again, as you said, a cross-pollination of ideas of, well, how do we reach out to the community? How do we capture their interests? How do we make sure that they're involved in, in the process? So uh, that, that was one example of a, of a topic that we addressed in a panel. Um, I'm, I'm looking at our list here. Uh, <laughs> another um, topic that we talked about was uh, ocean monitoring. So uh, what are some common technology needs for uh, kind of uh, uh, monitoring these technologies as they're deployed in the field, uh, not only to make sure that they're working as anticipated for the, to, to reach our program technical goals, but also to uh, comply with uh, environmental permitting uh, regulations. So, um, so what are what are the common needs uh, and kind of the cost structures for monitoring devices uh, between offshore wind and hydrokinetic systems and seaweed aquaculture? Um, and you know, one other uh, kind of common topic that's more technically focused was there was a session on inexpensive mooring. So obviously, all these systems <laughs> that we're discussing throughout our programs need to be moored to the bottom in some in some way. So what, what are the overlaps and commonalities in, in the needs of those moorings uh, and, and what are some ways that, you know, innovative ways that they can be deployed uh, more cost effectively? So these are the types of topics that we tried to address to get, uh, uh, you know, ideas from all, all of our different program performers. Um, and while there were no eureka movements, uh, I think that um, we did continue to build on the progress of, uh, of the communities within all, within all of our programs. And in addition, again, we had representatives from outside the community there to, to bounce ideas off of and to, um, again, uh, kind of spur the collaboration and, and partnership building between our performers and the outside community. It sounds like a blast. Uh, as a place to work, uh, it's a it's about invention. It's about creativity. Uh, it's about thinking. I'm sure commonly said around the office that ARP has got to be out of the box, right? We're not trying to do stuff the same old way, um, and that's fabulous. Creating a culture that is innovative and creative uh, on highly technical issues is itself a challenge. Uh, Dr. Freeman, I was wondering if you might comment on the culture of creativity that's necessary for ARPA-E's success, and also the second component, which it takes more than good ideas. It takes piles of money. How are you funded? <laughs> well, I can answer the second one first. Uh, it's, it's very easy. We, we are a line item in, in the congressional budget, and... Um, we receive an annual allotment from from Congress. Um, is this is this what I'm what you are asking or or? Uh... Yeah, yeah. Um, how 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 uh, how much revenue does Congress put toward ARPA E? Can you tell us? Yeah. So I think in the 2021 fiscal year, it was something like 427 million dollars, and that that's um, to the degree that we're funded 
as an agency were pretty small. So compared to DARPA, uh, they received many, many times that amount of money, but uh, we have far fewer people as well. Um, and we're a much younger agency. But that if you distribute, if you divide that amount of money by roughly 17 program directors like myself, um, that and, and then consider a program as sort of three to five years in duration, uh, that is about how much money per program manager. Uh, now, yeah, back to your first question, this, this idea of the culture. Um, there's a, a, a critical statement at RPE uh, that we always consider when thinking about new program areas, which is, you know, why does it matter? Uh, one can invent any sort of fantastic technology, but uh, and just because we could build it doesn't mean we should. And the should part is really difficult to get right. Um, you know, before we invest tens of millions of dollars into a new technology, we really have to make sure to the best of our ability that if we are successful or if a team is successful in inventing something, it's going to be truly impactful uh, to the, the energy space in the United States. Uh, so why will it matter is a central question uh, that, uh, that we ask ourselves all the time. Uh, the others, the other more important questions being uh, the ones in the Heil in the Heilmeier Catechism. Uh, if that's something that you're not familiar with, it is. Uh, yeah, to explain that, please, to the listeners and and to me too, because I am not familiar with it. So, so there was a man, George Heilmeier. He was a program manager at DARPA back in the 1970s, and he came up with a, a rubric of questions to ask uh, th that a program manager could ask for every new concept that came across their desk. Uh, in evaluating whether it was worthwhile. And the, the catechism is just a list of questions which begins with, you know, what are they trying to do? Answer in two, two sentences or less with, with no jargon, right? Just a very straightforward answer. And unless you can explain it in a simple way, you know, it's, it's probably not going to be uh, significant. Uh, the second question is, you know, what is the state of the art today and what, the limit, what are the limitations? The third is, uh, what is new and why will that have impact uh, and why do you think it will be successful? And then the questions continue like this. And it's a, the, the Heilmeier Catechism is a great rubric for formalizing the thought process when developing new program ideas. Um, so that's, that's pretty central to our, our culture of, of trying to figure out what to fund and what the differences will be. I would, I'm curious about sharks. You mentioned the Mariner Project, which is the uh, macroalgae seaweed farming initiative. Sharks, which is related to, I believe, marine hydropower or wave, perhaps wave energy. Uh, Atlantis, related to offshore wind. Uh, what's the two-sentence justification for sharks? And tell us about that. I'm kind of curious. Um, is there a future in... Um, in this type of energy technology in America um, or around the world? There could be, there could be, but uh, the details matter here. Uh, so, you know, just as an overview, sharks is about hydrokinetic energy harvesting. So generating electricity from currents, from rivers uh, and tides. So riverine and tidal environments are the environments to which sharks is restricted to. And um, this, type of approach, this type of energy generation approach is being tried all around the world. But 
nobody has yet achieved wide scale commercial success. Uh, there are a number of intractable. Uh, uh, there are a number of uh, significant challenges. Uh, efficiency is one. Reliability, biofouling, etc. Uh, so there are a number of uh, really important technical areas where uh, sharks is, is is trying to transform the field. Now, initially, the uh, solutions may not be economic, uh, economically viable for a mainstream energy generation method. But there are some communities. That for which uh, energy is very expensive today. So think about a remote community in Alaska. Um, they're, they're really going to struggle to import diesel. Like oftentimes, drums of diesel are brought in by aircraft, which makes it pr um, prohibitively expensive. So imagine if they could generate their own power using the river that runs next to the village. And in that case, you would have a, a great use case uh, that would make an enormous difference in people's lives. And there may be a, a significant a follow-on energy impact too, where those people may be involved in some energy industry that is enabled by the fact that they have power now. It makes a lot of sense. Wow, that is incredible stuff. And I've got to say, it, it does. It makes a lot of sense. And you know, I just have to say, Simon, uh, I'm curious. I'm curious what the vibe is inside ARPA-E. You. You work in this ocean space, which seems, I mean, I'm biased, obviously. I just th I just see so much, you know, opportunity here. Uh, your colleagues that are on terra firma, uh, are they jealous of your portfolio? <laughs> I love that. Um, I want to know that answer too, Simon. <laughs> are they a little envious that you get to, you know, I mean, I, I have to say it's, it's, it, it's, I don't want to use the word frontier uh, casually, because you know, th there's a lot of federal law, there's a lot of protections that uh, would protect the environment, etc. But really, uh, in the history of mankind, I mean, we're kind of we're we're looking at this new frontier, which is the this ocean space. Uh, it could dramatically change our uh, energy uh, problems here. Uh, I have to imagine that's that's you know that's kind of a sweet little corner to have. Well, I should say that everybody has their corner. Uh, there is no bro there's no boring job at Arpa E. Um, so even the folks, I mean, there there are folks who work on nuclear. They're doing some increase some incredible stuff. I don't know too much about it, but from the high level descriptions I get, it's really transformative material. There are folks working in the terrestrial agriculture space. There are folks working in carbon negative carbon negative building materials. I mean, these are all fascinating uh, areas to work in and. You better believe it. These group discussions we have are really, really interesting. Um, and th they last for hours. And afterward, you come out exhausted, but you know, in energized because the discussions you have are at such an interesting technical level and they're really meaningful. Like you could, you could really make an impact uh, with these types of programs. Yeah. No, and I'll just, I'll just add to that, Simon, um, by mentioning that, uh, you know, Although Simon and I are federal employees of ARPA-E, uh, we are both, and all of us here, are term limited. Um, you know, uh, employees generally stay anywhere from three to five years, and we're really motivated to do as much as we can during that time to, to come up with innovative new program ideas and, and, you know, to fund these projects and to work with these teams to help them bring their technologies to market and, and have real impact in the world. Um, we have a very small window in which to accomplish those things. And so uh, every day, you know, you work to, to move everything forward uh, just a bit more. 
Um, and, you know, as Simon mentioned, like it, it really is a culture of, of uh, uh, sharing ideas and um, challenging each other um, and, you know, rigor- rigorously working through different program concepts to, to make sure that um, not only will the technology, you know, be truly transformational if it's successful, but it, you know, will it have impact in, in the marketplace uh, once it's developed? So it's, it's really a unique and, and uh, great place to work. Well, it, it does sound like it. Uh, I would imagine uh, in the community of researchers, uh, inventors, and in the collaborative process uh, that you're engaged in in the private sector, uh, is the climate is the is climate change the lurking issue that's driving much of the innovative thinking at ARPA E or what problems uh, are of a particular focus, maybe it'd be the neutral way to answer that, ask that question. What's, what problems are driving the thinking at RPE? There's a formal slide about this. Dan, I don't have it in front of me, but um, I can, I can bring it up um, maybe a little later in the conversation, but I can say for now that it's not just climate. So yes, climate change uh, mitigation, like emissions mitigation, and also solutions are important, but there are other very important components um, to the work that RPE does. Resiliency is critical. Uh, energy independence is also very important. Uh, th- think about in the in the 2050 timeframe, you know, what will the grid look like when presumably most people have electric vehicles? So when they charge those at night, the grid is going to undergo enormous demand that we don't have today. Uh, how will it survive? Uh, and... Uh, you know, how will it efficiently distribute power from all these distributed renewable energy sources uh, if everyone has rooftop solar, if uh, there are offshore wind uh, farms? Uh, the, the grid is going to look very different. And so transforming such an enormous infrastructure uh, for the nation is not something that happens overnight. And doing it today with our existing technology may, may not be the best way to do it. So... Uh, there are a number of RPE programs about that seek to um, improve grid technologies, uh, in addition to the climate change, uh, national security, resilience, etc. Well, I think that I'm pleased to hear about the focus on 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 grid technology and the transformation of the energy sector that we, we're all hoping is occurring. Uh, the administration has announced uh, a major program for the development of offshore wind uh, and is moving forward with either the environmental investigations or the lease sale opportunities uh, through the, uh, the Bureau of Offshore Energy Management, uh, BOEM. Um, we're calling for a – there is – boy, there's, there, there's going to be a big push here for offshore wind power uh, Dan, are you comfortable that we're technologically prepared uh, to execute that kind of strategy? Can you talk generally, or Simon, if that's the area where you focus? I'd be interested in in what you feel from a technological standpoint our preparation is for this initiative of offshore wind, which is uh, looks so powerful and big coming our way. You know, I, I think that uh, while there has been a lot of uh, progress in um, the development of offshore wind technologies, you know, we discovered, you know, some white space years ago in the cost of developing floating 
offshore platforms. And obviously, if we're going to be scaling up to the point where we're meeting the energy goals of, um, you know, by 2030 that, that have been outlined, uh, we need to be moving from shallow water areas where you can have fixed bottom turbines into areas of open ocean that are deeper, that are potentially thousands of meters deep, where you cannot have uh, fixed bottom turbines and you need to install these to, to install floating uh, platforms. Um, but the real challenge is not necessarily the, <clears throat> the ability to develop that technology, but to do so economically and make it cost effective and make sure that you know the levelized cost of energy or the combination of capital and operating costs across the whole uh, project lifetime uh, lead to an economically incentive incentivizing situation, right? For the for these uh, for these developers, so so we want to provide through our RPE Atlantis program the technology that will enable the economic development of deeper uh, waters for offshore wind um, that can then help to scaling up. Uh, our national capacity to meet our energy goals. Simon, what do you think? Are we ready to go forward with wind power on a major scale on, on the offshore areas? Well, we already are. Um, just before we do that, though, I would like to just reiterate, you mentioned uh, what else besides from climate change is RPE, uh, yeah. is, is in our RPE purview. I do have the, the formal list here, so maybe I could just go through that very quickly. Yeah, please do. So, yeah, so in addition to climate impacts and, and, and so on, RPE has a number of other mission areas which are, are just as important. So the first one is to reduce imports, including energy imports, uh, and as well as technology imports as related to energy industries. The second is to improve efficiency. So of our, of our present-day energy generation, storage, distribution systems, how do we make them better? The third is to reduce emissions, and that includes the reduction of emissions that are not CO2, so methane is one, for example, uh, and mitigation as well is included in there. The next RPE area is to improve the management, cleanup, and disposal of radioactive waste and spent nuclear fuel. So if you're not aware, I mean, what to do with all of that, uh, all of the spent fuel from nuclear power plants is a significant issue. Um, Huge problem. Yeah. And the last one is to re improve the resilience, reliability, and security of energy infrastructure. So I, I talked about the grid and how the grid is going to have to change fundamentally in the next uh, 30, 40 years. And overall, at, at a very high level, and we, we want to ensure the United States maintains a technological, need, technological lead in developing and employing advanced te energy technologies. So... We want to stay ahead of the competition and fund transformative R&D in general in the, in the energy space. So that's that's a high-level view of the RPE mission. Now, thinking about offshore wind, um, as you may be aware, there are significant offshore wind lease auctions that have occurred or are occurring at the moment on both coasts of the United States. Uh, I live in, when I'm not in D.C., I live in Rhode Island, and Rhode Island is home to the United States' first offshore wind farm, the Block Island Wind Farm. And that, since that was installed, we've shown that uh, these things not only work, the uh, impacts to the environment are relatively minimal, if not positive. So there are some peer-reviewed publications that show that recreational fishing has actually been enhanced by these offshore wind farms, which is really interesting, right? Uh, 
And uh, they're, they're, we are now host to uh, Vineyard Wind, which is a very large offshore farm that's currently under construction. Uh, there are several more along the east. There are several more along the east coast. Uh, and then recently, there was a, an auction for wind lease sites off the coast of California. Uh, now, as Dan alluded to, these floating offshore wind systems that are necessitated by the depth of water off of California are going to be much more difficult to engineer. They're a lot more expensive, and they have to deal. They have to endure a significantly more challenging environmental conditions. So everything off the east coast to date is a, is a um, solid mounted turbine. So the the wind turbines are, are connected to the seafloor. They're secured with pilings, etc. Uh, but off the west coast, they're all going to be floating and anchored using using a variety of technologies. That floating design is is far more complicated and uh, requires a lot more uh, engineering to be performed. And so the Atlantis program, uh, one of its main uh, technological goals was to um, reduce cost and, and uh, increase the performance of floating offshore wind systems. Yeah, what, what, what great engineering technical problems to uh, focus attention on. Um, one of the interesting things about the wind power technology uh, issues is uh, – the oil and gas industry in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, with its deep experience in offshore oil and gas production, is pretty good at a lot of this stuff. And uh, there are some conservative and Republican uh, uh, congressmen um, who understand that the wind power industry uh, is a real opportunity uh, for the manufacture of offshore technology uh, systems for Louisiana and, and other oil and gas producing states. I mean, it's it kind of a surprise, but uh, Dan, it does seem that, that there is an openness to this wind power offshore uh, and even some support in, in the oil and gas community. Yeah, well, I, uh, I think I do want to mention that, um, you know, we're not the only office in the Department of Energy that are, are addressing these, uh, these technical problems. Um, I do just want to mention that uh, we at RPE are in contact and, and work with uh, other offices such as the Wind Energy Technologies Office uh, and in regard to some of our other uh, programs, the Water Power Technologies Office. And so, you know, we're working with, with those offices who are focused on kind of near-term implementation and deployment of, of these technologies. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that they are um, speaking to and working on some of the issues that you just alluded to. Well, it's such a great agency. Uh, it's great to learn about it. Uh, for the for folks out there who want to track uh, what's happening at the Advanced Research Project Agency ARPA, um, how do they do that? How can uh, how can companies that are interested in collaborating uh, with ARPA E engage? Uh, Simon, would you be so kind to direct our listeners to how they can learn more and participate. So we have a number of public facing uh, opportunities to, to learn about what RPE is doing and to communicate with RPE. So firstly, we have our website and we have a number of social media accounts associated with that. Uh, we have a dedicated comms team that takes uh, results and recent reviews and, and things of note from our programs and, and publicize those things. Uh, for the for the wider audience, a uh, wider public, uh, and then we have these meetings that uh, we've discussed previously. 
meetings like Ocean Week are, are more focused on a specific technical area, such as you know all of our programs in the ocean realm. Um, but one we have we have one meeting per year, which is the uh, APRE Summit, and that's a that's a really standout um, gathering where it's it's open to the public. I mean, there's a registration fee, but anyone can come. We typically have roughly 21, 2,500 people per year at these events, and uh, we put on a show. So we bring in keynote speakers. Uh, we bring in thought leaders from various energy industries to give really in interesting talks, sort of TED-style talks, uh, on a stage where they solicit questions from the audience. The program directors are required to give what we call f a fast pitches, which are short sort of seven minute long um, talks where we discuss something innovative or, or a potential transformative idea and we seek solicitation from the audience and those those fast pitches can turn into uh, program ideas uh, it, it there's a, a bit of a process but you know if some transformative opportunities are identified uh, during that that uh, discussion that could turn into a, a 30 or 40 million dollar program uh, we also have showcases from our performers. So there are booths uh, and demonstrations, and people do things like, as you mentioned, bring robots and, and you know set them up and, and do demonstrations with those. Uh, it's a really interesting venue to really learn about what RPE is doing and to to converse directly with not just our program directors but our tech to market uh, advisors. We have fellows who are working who work for us uh, post PhD. These people are here for between two and three years, and they advise on new program development. They are involved with the execution of programs. Um, they have a hand in everything. So uh, they'll be around at these at these annual summits, and uh, they're also a great um, a great group of folks to speak to. Well, it sounds like an absolute blast. I, I'm serious. I agree. Tyler, we, we I, I want to make it out make, there. We should make a plan. I want to go. Me too. Uh, you know, this is the cutting edge. This is where the smartest people in America work together. And I don't mean the exclusion of anybody else, but this is pretty well, smart. Well, if you are group, someone else, you're just not as smart. Doing. I guess that's the way to interpret that. <laughs> you, need to, you need to go. Uh Ladies and gentlemen, it is Daniel Rogers. He's a technology to market advisor at the Advanced Research Project Agency, ARPA, or it's called ARPA E Program at the U.S. Department of Energy. And joining us also today on the American Shoreline Podcast was is Dr. Simon Freeman, Program Director at ARPA E. Thanks a lot for joining us today on the American Shoreline Podcast. Thank, thanks so much for the time. Uh, and I, I, I do just want to mention one last note being that if anyone listening today is interested in learning more about RPE, you know, we take very seriously our roles as being connectors between the outside community and, and our RPE team. So we're always interested in having discussions um, with uh, potential commercialization partners or investors or uh, you know, groups out there with, that might have complementary uh, technology capabilities. So please feel free to reach out to us. You can find our information at the RPE website. Ladies and gentlemen, Daniel Rogers and Dr. Simon Freema from, Freeman from ARPA-E. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you. It's a pleasure.